And so now I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning, someone who has traveled a long way to be with us. His spiritual journey began in the early 1970s in Minnesota. He then moved to California where he apprenticed and developed into a master builder while pursuing and working as an actor in some of the most successful films of all times. Along the way, he had the opportunity to work with legendary directors and actors. Discovering religious science and the science of mind in 1981, he was awarded with his honorary doctorate by Religious Science International in July of 2011, this signifying a master of learning and a lengthy, beautiful path of service. Please help me welcome to the platform, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Welcome. We're going we're gonna, to uh, share a song that many of you know. If you're here for the first time, you don't know it. <clears throat> You'll know it in three or four minutes. This guy takes such good care of me here. It's, a room, it's, it's uh, the, based on Rumi's poem, Come. And uh, it's a beautiful chant. And then we'll go into our affirmative prayer. Come, come 
moment one life perfect life God's life spirits life and choosing to be chosen in this moment as we choose it it chooses us as we open our hearts and our minds to this vibration of the most high I know that each one of us is informed resource supplied and inspired and intuitively guided in every way appropriate in this moment in each moment hereafter and so I give thanks for this beautiful teaching I give thanks for a community of love I give thanks for a community of commitment to continue to give birth to the highest possible consciousness and the activity that springs forth from that consciousness that is available to us all. With that said, I give thanks. I give thanks for music. I give thanks for the beautiful musicians with us today. Everyone in service to our celebration, to our children in every way, shape, and form. I just feel so blessed. Standing in gratitude and appreciation, knowing the highest and the best is already done in the mind of the one and I'm the place and you're the place where it gets to show up today. With that said, I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Brian. Awesome. Thanks, guys.
Not yet. Thanks, buddy. <clears throat> Look at this guy. He's transformed himself into a personal assistant. <laughs> at the first service, he, he m- massaged my shoulders the whole time I talked. It was great. There's a, a few messages on your voicemail. <laughs> And he's sharp, too. (laughs) All right. I wanted to mention, I wanted to thank Wayne Lee. Wayne Wayne was here at the first service and the second. And it's always fun for us to be able to come together as a community and and share gifts and talents. And one of the things that we didn't mention, but there's some flyers in the back if you're interested in knowing, especially if you're a member of the business community, on the same evening that we're doing our, um, our live feed with Eckhart Tolle and Ramdas, there's a, um, a business event called Empowering Edmonton. I believe it's the third year. And I'm one of the keynote speakers that will be there. There's seven speakers. They're bringing several people in from the United States. Wayne's one, going to be one of the speakers. Uh, Jimmy, who's uh, been at our business breakfast. And, uh, and myself. So I'm really excited about that. So if you're interested, uh, the flyers are back uh, uh, to my left, your right. I think uh, as you come in the door there or as you go out the door. And I wanted to just thank. Uh, it's wonderful to be able to take our message out into the business community. It's a great way to let people know we're here, what we're doing. And, and as Wayne said to me, you know, he's, he's been traveling and doing a lot of shows. He said, man, I just, I miss this place so much. And uh, you don't realize it sometimes until you've been away a while. So really, really feel honored to be part of that. And, and it really is through the, the, uh, the generosity of Wayne that uh, I am going to be part of that. With that said, I wanted to talk to you today about uh, this idea of spiritual makeover. And what inspired it is that... Um, you know, if you watch the TV shows, like when Oprah was on, and uh, she'd every once in a while do a makeover. They'd bring in, you know, deserving people, and they'd redo the, the lady's hair and the wardrobe, or the guy, the Grizzly Adams guy with the beard that had been growing for 10 years, and they'd shave his beard off and give him a new set of clothes. And we really do, we are a community of, of makeover. And I watch people that come in the door, and I watch my own journey, as I mentioned in the introduction, that, you know, I, I found this teaching you know, back in the early 1980s. And the changes that have been facilitated in my life as a result of it have just, uh, I couldn't even begin to, to list them. What we are is we're a new thought teaching. And uh, we come under that banner. We're not new age, we're new thought. Ernest Holmes, the founder of religious science, says it serves us well to consider a new idea occasionally. Not a bad idea, huh? So do you, do you consider yourself a finished production? Are you, are you at the place in your life and all areas of your life where you'd like to be? And it's just a rhetorical question. And I think the answer for all of us is we always, the divine urge, the way we're, we're hardwired is that we're always longing for, for, for a, a, a different experience. Uh, an experience of being fully alive, I think is, is, is a, way to, a nice way to phrase that. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was one of the early influences, Dr. Holmes, said that if you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. And if you sow a character, you reap a destiny. And our teaching, as, as Wayne mentioned in his little, uh, not little, but his, his presentation, we are about planting seeds of possibility and then tending the garden of our awareness and our consciousness to give birth to it. And sometimes it feels like it has for me at times that the seeds I've planted are never going to break the surface but it takes as long as it takes. And if I say I'm not doing this anymore, then 
then I don't get the crop at all. I get more of the same thing because what I do is I revert to form. We're always thinking. We're always impressing upon this infinite intelligence ideas. And it's, it's, I think it's important to impress, as Holmes said, an occasional new idea. Our lives are either an expression of our spiritual magnificence or a reflection of our unhealed past. They just are. We're either playing out some, some things that we're carrying with us or we're doing enough spiritual practice, or we are doing our work to lift ourselves up in consciousness with enough consistency that things start to shift and change. And it's, it's exciting to watch. I was in the back before service, and someone said to me, man, my whole life's falling apart, but it's good. And I said, well, because she's one of our uh, members of the Prosperity Plus class, and I said, I can't wait to hear this afternoon. And that's why we get together. We get together and, and support one another in this shift and change in consciousness. And I know all this stuff. I understand all the principles, but until I got into to the classwork, until I started to gather with others, my, my, my progress was two steps forward, one step back. It was very inconsistent. And so it's, it's, it's important to gather around us the resources that help us continually and consistently give birth to the new ideas. So in our tradition here, we either use our teaching to heal our lives or we don't. And that is my observation. I've been a minister now uh, 15 or 16 years, I guess. And what I know and my observation with lifelong metaphysicians and new metaphysicians is really the value is simply to use the teaching to heal our lives, to shift and change what's going on in our lives. And we see it and it shows up in our lives. And so that's the value of it because it's easy like anything to just simply fall into that sort of pattern of I understand it, I understand it, but nothing's changing. Deepak Chopra says that about meditation. If you're doing a meditation that's not moving the energy, you need to find a new meditation. It's not a bad thing. It's just that we can, in our spiritual practice, we can also get, get into habits that may not serve us well. So we teach six and a half, seven pillars in our community. We teach affirmative prayer, and that's directed faith. We do an affirmative prayer at the beginning and the end of each service. We teach affirmative prayer to the individuals because we want you to have this tool in your toolbox so you understand and it's available so that when you, you're in a situation that is a bit overwhelming, talked about untamed emotions last week, that you, that you uh, sooner rather than later realize, hey, wait a minute, this is an opportunity for me to look at this, to turn towards it, and to, and to plant a new seed, because this is uncomfortable. So affirmative prayer is one. Education is another. Education is so important. We have classes. And the classes are, are just a wonderful, powerful way to support ourselves and one another in, in those shifts and changes to wake up to a new idea. I've been reading an, a uh, historical novel called The Team of Rivals by Doris Goodwin. And it's a story of uh, Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln, it's called Team of Rivals. And it's, it's um, the story of the, the, the four men, Lincoln was one of them, that were in competition for the Republican Party's nomination at the time. This was prior, just prior to the Civil War, and slavery was uh, still a huge issue. And, and Lincoln, all of them had so many characteristics in common. They all had this ravenous thirst to improve their minds and to, to learn as much as they could. These guys were all up at four in the morning reading. And Lincoln was, was amazing and unique in that he was self-taught. He learned everything on his own. The other guys went to university. They had curriculum. Lincoln would read anything he could get his hands on. And it was, it's fascinating material, and I'm just starting to enter into it. One of the neat things about it is one of the fellows that was his competition is um, uh, a congressman by the name of Seward. And Seward was involved in the purchase of Alaska. 
They called it Seward's Icebox. But he was, he was involved in that. And Seward took a tour of the, the Deep South when, when slavery was still very, very alive, just prior to the Civil War. And he said it was interesting because the North was bustling with activity. There was industry and there were things happening and people were motivated and they were productive. And he said to take that trip into the South and see what the, the environment of slavery had done to the, to the energetics is what I would describe it as. It was fascinating because it was in complete contrast. And I think it's just, it's, it's an interesting measure of vi- the vibrational tone of what happens when, when uh, oppression is so apparent. And he said it was like stepping back a hundred years earlier. There's been very little progress, been very little innovation, and, and so interesting um, observation about it. And I thought it was quite telling of, of that, that whole approach to uh, commerce. So education, really important, to continue to put forth the new ideas in our, our experience, to read the books, to, to do the exploration, to do the research. Celebration, we're here about celebration today. Come and celebrate what we're doing and to come and, and lift ourselves up in some way and, and hopefully the music and the message allow that. And then we, throughout the week, find ways to do it each day, to go to that well of consciousness and lift ourselves up and to wash us, our consciousness clean over and over and over again until we, become, we move into that, that, that mindset of a God-intoxicated man or woman. Krishnamurti talked about that. Meditation, very important. Very important to have a meditation practice in our lives where we just slow down a bit. Even for a few minutes a day, slow down a bit and listen. And part of the meditation beyond that is the sort of form of a directed meditation called visioning, which is really to ask the question, what is Spirit's idea for me? What's, what wants to happen here? And then to listen and to pay attention. And then we talk about um, circulation, which is really about giving. It's really about circulating our gifts, our talents. I believe a life, a meaningful life, is based on love, service, and giving. Love, service, and giving. And I'm going to give you some examples of that as I move into this discussion. And then the last one is service or seva for our community. We're, at, we're inviting people to be part of our service community. Uh, it's huge for us. We, we go through cycles. We love it. People step up and they volunteer. It's not a lifetime commitment. It's good news, huh? You don't sign up forever. I, I've been in churches where I was the only guy for a long time. So it was really hard because they needed the piano moved every week for me to get off the piano moving team. So it was a lifetime commitment. I know what it's like. But service is, is huge. And it's, it's really a way of, it's spiritual practice. So seva, we would use the term seva as uh, this idea of selfless service to spirit, to ser- selfless service to God. And those are, so those are the six and a half or seven. I say six and a half because I combine meditation and visioning together. We live in a, in a time when there's just wonderful information available. And I want to find my right... Here it is. Perfect. Daniel Pink has identified what motivates us. And the old paradigms, the old ideas, no longer motivate. It's no longer effective in the workplace to, to get a bigger stick and, and threaten people. Because people don't respond to that. It's no longer effective in some environments to even get a bigger carrot to lure people. If they've done research after research. Dan Arelli and, and Daniel, Pink, Daniel Pink's book is called Drive. And they've done study after study. What they realize is that if you're producing widgets, say we're doing this thing and we're producing widgets, the incentive program works. That we want to increase productivity, but it's a very narrow focus. We're going to focus on this area and we're going to, get, we're going to double productivity. 
And we say to people, we double productivity, everybody gets a 20% bonus. It works. But when you go to the right side of the brain, which is the creative, the productivity goes down. So increasing incentive doesn't work because that doesn't motivate people. And actually, nobody can motivate you. Motivation is that key that you turn on the inside. We can inspire one another, but we can't motivate one another. But in Daniel Pink's research, he said there's three areas. I'm just going to touch on them briefly today. Three areas that are really important to focus on or to look at. And in part of this is breaking out of why those all these incentives don't work is the solution is not to do more of the wrong things. But he said the, these three areas are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy is the, the desire for all of us to direct our own lives. All of us to, to, to find that, those things that, that we connect with in a, in a positive and, and, and powerful way. Because they matter to us. They're interesting to us. Because I want to be part of something more important. And because we like it. And that's what autonomy lines up with. We want to be free to do that. Our whole teaching, Dr. Holmes, the first page of our textbook, says that our divine birthright is one of freedom. The second one, mastery. It's the desire to get better and better at what you do. So that you can share that with the world because it matters to you. And so to get so good at it, those 10,000 hours we've talked about a number of times to become proficient in one area, takes 10,000 hours, give or take. I love the story of the Beatles. They went over to Germany and they'd play 14, 16 hours a day. They came back and they were just this amazing band that they'd been playing for hours and hours and hours. Developing it, doing their 10,000 hours, but the desire to get better and better. And in purpose, to do what we do to be in service to something larger than ourselves. Something larger than ourselves. And this, is not, this isn't a burden. This is an opportunity. And it's exciting because this is exactly what our teaching shares. You have gifts and talents. Develop those. Identify those because they matter to you. Because the world needs that. And share that. So it's an exciting time. And, and when you come back in two weeks, because I'm going to do the second half of this talk in two weeks. We're going to do Thanksgiving. Next week I'll share more information about it with you. But that's part of Daniel Pink's work. And, it's, and you can Google Daniel Pink and see a lot more of the, the details around these ideas. There's a fellow by the name of Chip Conley. And Chip is a business owner in San Francisco. He owns a, a series of hotels. And he's got a lady that's worked for him for over 20 years. She comes from Vietnam and she's got a Vietnamese name. But she, she changed her name to Vivian so that people would, in the West could you know, say her name more easily. And what she is, is she's a maid in, in one of the, uh, his hotels. He bought first hotel he bought was in a rough section of San Francisco, and Vivian went to work for him immediately. And so Vivian was there every day cleaning everything, scrubbing the toilets, changing the beds, washing the sheets, doing everything that was required. And what, what motivated Vivian was the connection she made with the other people working there and, and with the, the clients that came in. Now, she's been there. She's still there. And, and, and Chip Conley says that people come back to the hotel because they love and appreciate Vivian so much. But Vivian's motivation is not economic. It's not because she needed a job, which she did. But she shifted her perception. And what she does is she says, the reason that I love my job so much is I create a home for people that don't have a home, that they're away from home. And I know how important that is because I'm away from my home. See, so then work becomes service. And, and then to want to give because that and create that environment, it's all, and, and that consciousness is huge 
for all of us. What do you do in your work? Because when we can shift the perception about what our work is, then it becomes service. Then it's based in love. And so Vivian gets that. And she showed up and he said, the more time I spend with Vivian, the more I realize how important that is. Her emotional connection to the employees, to the people that come in. What Conley also said is he started looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Abraham Maslow came up with the hierarchy of needs. He died in 1972. He didn't get really a chance to really develop that beyond identifying it, and he came up with a wonderful model. But what, what Conley did, the owner of the, the hotels, is he synthesized it down to three areas, survival, success, and transformation. And he said survival is about that, that physiological idea of safety, to have enough and to be safe in the world. Success is social belonging and self-esteem, and transformation is self-actualization, and it's intangible. You can't measure it. And see, this is what we do many times. The quality of your life, by you doing the work at the level of consciousness, you know, but how do you measure it? How do you measure it? Because so much of it is, is, is the intangibles. And now what, what Conley's, Conley's focus was on is around happiness. But how do you measure happiness? Einstein said, not everything can be counted counts. And not everything that counts can be counted. Not everything that can be counted counts. And not everything that counts can be counted. It's really a challenge in, in spiritual community. What, what does success look like? What do you, how do you measure that? That's why we always ask for testimonials on how things are going, how's your life, because those are the intangibles, and your stories are so powerful. In Bhutan, so Chip Conley took a trip to Bhutan. He'd heard a, a story about this, this 17-year-old king in Bhutan. And he said, what's your gross domestic product? Because in the West, we measure success by what we produce and what is consumed. Now, we've been measuring this way forever since we've measured gross domestic product. And so this young, think-outside-the-box, innovative leader showed up, and he said, we don't measure gross domestic product. We measure gross national happiness. Gross national happiness. And they have measures. I'm not going to share them with you today because I don't have time. I'll share them with you in two weeks. But in order for me to... Uh, make, meet that commitment. You all got to come back next week for Thanksgiving, okay? So if one of you is not here, I'm not sharing it in two weeks. I'm just letting you know. Because I know who, everybody's name who's here. <laughs> what he said is that they don't create, we can't create happiness for one another. We cannot create happiness for one another. But I think this is such a beautiful fit for this community and how we approach life and our perception of it and our perception uh, of, of possibility what he said is we create the conditions for happiness to occur we create the conditions for happiness to occur so when you come here and hopefully there's a piece of this message that you're able to incorporate into your life with greater consistency to be told that you are a gift that you have skills and talents that are wanted and needed and they're unique to you when your experience has been that, that there's been a lot of pressure and there's been a lot of, of judgment of self and of others, that, that that doesn't even occur to you, but to grow into that idea and to accept it and to embody it and live from it, it takes time. 
It takes time. That's why we do this over and over again. If we could just do one talk, go out in the world and remember this forever. I, I, you know, I, got, I found this in 19, the early 1980s. I found this teaching, and I loved it. I thought, this is perfect for a guy like me. I'm, I want to be successful. I want to be master of time, space, and dimension. Um, but then I had to, to do the work, and I'm still doing the work. But I'm so glad, as long as it's taken, I'm so glad to be able to do this work. So one of the questions they ask in Bhutan, when they ask people, they say, how did you feel about how you spent your time? How did you feel about how you spent yesterday? Good question. How did you feel about it? You feel good about it? Didn't feel not, not good about it? Well, then it's an opportunity to look at it and say, how can, I, how can I shift or change this? Emotional happiness, the emotional equation that Conley came up with is, is not about having what you want. He said, happiness... And he drew the, uh, the uh, fraction symbol, the line between. And on the top, he said, happiness is wanting what you have. And underneath that line is having what you want. Having what you have on the top is gratitude. And having what you want is gratification. Dan Arelli's work talks about this extensively, that when you don't, you don't have another choice, the way our mind works, we create synthetic happiness. It's, just, it's amazing how it works. And, and he said, we're almost better off creating the synthetic happiness because then we get on with our lives. So it's a very interesting. But when we understand that happiness, and, it's, and see, when we say that, it's not about saying that you know, I'm not open to more. I love what Esther Hicks says. I, today I'm content, and, I'm, and I welcome more. It takes all that clinging, all that groping out of it. There are now 40 countries that are exploring and looking at gross national happiness. France just completed a study on gross national happiness. See, our measures, as consciousness changes, our measures are changing. And we know this. We know that this idea of more and more and more of, of taking this teaching and using it as a, vending, a spiritual vending machine, we can get stuck there. Because we've got to master this. It's important to master their survival. And it's important to move into success. But those aren't the, the final destinations. And then it's the, the transformation. Ernest Holmes taught the transformation. Holmes said that our teaching will spread out into the world in ways we can't even imagine. It won't always be in our, our centers and our communities. One of my all-time favorite speakers, lecturers, and, and uh, we should get a banner up showing him, it was Robert Kennedy. And Robert Kennedy did a speech in 1968. And he talked about gross domestic product. And he said, this is what it measures. Now, this is pulled right out of the text of his speech. It's synthesized. He said, what gross domestic product measures is air pollution. It measures cigarette advertising. It measures ambulances to clear highways of carnage. It measures how many locks we have on our doors. It measures how many people are in jails for breaking those locks that we have on our doors. It measures the destruction of the redwoods. It measures the, the loss of natural wonder in chaotic sprawl. It measures the use and fabrication of napalm, which was big then because they were using it in Vietnam extensively. 
in the Vietnam War. It measures nuclear warheads. It measures armored police cars to fight riots. It measures guns and knives. It measures TV programs which glorify violence. He said, what it doesn't measure is the health of our children. It doesn't measure the quality of our children's education. It doesn't measure the joy of their play. It doesn't measure the beauty of our poetry. It doesn't measure the strengths of our marriages. It doesn't measure the intelligence of our public debate. It doesn't measure the integrity of our public officials, our wit, our courage, our wisdom, our learning, our compassion, and our devotion to a country, to one another, and to the world. It doesn't measure those things. All it requires is a new way to count. It requires a mindfulness. So when we look in the paper and there's fear and worry because the gross domestic product is up or down and the dollar is up or down, it's one measure. It's good to know. We want to be mindful of that. But it is such a small, meager form of measuring. I remember my teacher once saying to me one of the things I'll never forget. So why do you keep, for me... Why do you keep fighting for such a small form of love? And I think that statement applies in this example. Why do we keep, why do we keep settling for such a poor form of measuring, such a small form of measuring? He's, Kennedy said this. He says, it measures everything in short except that which makes life worthwhile. GDP measures everything except that what makes life worthwhile. And happiness really is about being happy with what we have and welcoming more. And so it is.